I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know who's out there. Uh, God really wants somebody to know this thing is so real. It's so real. I almost feel like uh, the Holy Ghost is saying, um, sons and daughters, I apologize. That there have been so many people. So many people that have fallen short of preaching my gospel. I feel like the Lord is saying, I really did do everything that I meant to do and everything that I could do. I went all the way to the cross. I suffered death. I never sinned. I didn't mince words. I didn't make it too difficult. I didn't make it elite. And then I overcame death. I overcame hell and I overcame the grave. And I don't know how to apologize and say, I'm sorry that I left this earth and it got confusing. So he did everything he could do. And then he gave us his word. And he really just said, look, I want to I remove all the confusion. Just love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love God and you love people, it's hard to mess up. I charge thee therefore, verse 1, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Yes, love. Yes, share. Yes, hug. Yes, encourage. But reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, says the Lord, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captives, silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yaroslav Pelikan, a historian, secular historian, said, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. Period. Stock velvet is a term. How many of you are cold? How many of you are hot? How many of you are lukewarm? Do not raise your hand. Okay. All right, so we're kind of balanced. Like the men's and women's group, Fried, fried wings for the men, salad for the ladies, balance. Um, stock velvet, if you ever eat at Payway, you should order all your food stock velvet. They use that term. And what that means is they take all the junk out. They don't fry it. They don't use their whatever oils. and whatever. They, just, they use natural stock. And they cook it in a wok, and it's not fried. It has even more flavor. It tastes exactly the same. It takes about four to 500 calories out of your food. 
and just gives you what you need as far as payway can, can deliver. Stock velvet. So what does that mean for us this morning? We want to take all the junk out of the way. The Bible says we'll reach a period of time, and I think that time is now where he's just going to ask us to preach the word, be incident in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, because we're living in a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, Jesus Christ did everything he could do. He did everything right. He made everything simple. He made everything available. He gave it to everybody. He didn't take away any opportunity. He didn't add anything extra, and he didn't leave anything out. And now it is our charge as the body of Christ to take the Jesus that the world has heard of back to stock velvet, get all the junk out of the way, remove the 500 calories of excess, and deliver it to the world with all of its goodness and wholeness. Amen. The gospel of Christ. Amen. I want to read you a... a conversation that a man had with a hitchhiker he said we had not traveled very long together when i realized my rider was in some kind of a cult he said that he would come to power in about 10 years and would end up being responsible for annihilating thousands maybe millions of people he went on and on both amusing me and perturbing me finally i turned to him and said so who are you anyway he looked me in the eye paused and said i am he the third son of the father the prince of peace though this man probably hasn't gained much of a following the bible does predict that in the last days, false Christs and false prophets will come and deceive many. Many people these days are putting their faith in false imaginary Christs who cannot save them. You might meet two of these false Christs, and this is, a, in one man's opinion, introduced to you by the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness. And this is just one example. If a Mormon ever knocks at your door, he'll bring a Jesus who is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Where do we get that? This Jesus is one of the billions of spirit babies that our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Mother brought into this universe. According to the Mormons, when Jesus lived on earth, he had several wives, one of whom was Mary Magdalene. After his death and resurrection, he came to America and preached to the Indians. Where do we get that? The Jehovah's Witness Jesus, the Jehovah's Witness will tell you that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, the first created being, who became a man, died on a stake instead of a cross, was raised as a spirit creature, becoming Michael the Archangel again while his body was dissolved into gases. Where do we get that? Well, I don't want to use those examples because of those two particular Jesuses have millions of followers. Where do we get that? Okay, that's full-blown... What? But there's a lot of steps in between here and there. There's a lot of false imagery. And there's a lot of false teaching. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is a key. A key to how do we maintain the truth of the word of God and the gospel. We can start in Proverbs chapter 4. This will give you the key, and I'm going to try to preach this quickly. I know we've had a lot of different things happen already today, and we're already into the, the time in the afternoon. I promise you that will not affect my sermon at all, but I am cognizant of that, whatever that means. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. If it's already on the screen or you have it in front of you, then you're going to, it is already on the screen, then you're going to have a... Uh, advantage in this question but if it wasn't on the screen and i were to tell you that in proverbs 
chapter 4, verse 7, God gives us a principle, the principle thing that he says, would it be faith? Would it be love? Would it be the power of the Holy Ghost? Would it be grace? Would it be long-suffering? Would it be forgiveness? What is the principle thing? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, wisdom is the principle thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding, exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when you do remember her. When you do embrace her, verse 9, she shall give to your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she shall deliver to you. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life shall be many. Everybody say wisdom. Wisdom Wisdom is what we need. Wisdom is what we need. Wisdom to understand what does the Bible teach, what is the real gospel, who is the real Jesus, and how do I know that what I'm hearing is the truth? God gives, the Bible says, to all men liberally, wisdom. You can have wisdom. First, you have to understand what is wisdom. I've gotten this question many, many times over the years. There are people in the congregation right now that I've made plans with, and I've done this with people in every congregation that I've been in front of. After we we preach for more than a couple of months, inevitably the, the people start coming and saying, how do you... Uh, and if you've been here for a while, you'll, you'll understand to a degree, how, do you, how did you learn how to study the Bible? How do you get that out of the Word? How do I, how do I get a, a, some type of an understanding of Hebrew? Where do I start with the Greek? Uh, how, do I, how do I see like you, the Scripture that, you know, you read it, I don't see anything in it. Then you preach it, there's all this in it. How do you get that? And if I'm going to give you one key, I'm not, I'm not blowing my own horn. I'm just, that, that's, a lot of people can do that. But I'm just saying... If I'm going to give you one key that I've never given you before, and I don't think I've ever even said in front of a congregation, if there was one way to get in the Bible, as the Word of God says, and rightly divide the truth of the Word and gain insight and depth into what the Lord is bringing you in His words, everybody say, I want that. It's understanding wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern difference and apply it. You can have knowledge of things, You can have a lot of knowledge, and the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Too much knowledge. Here we we read a scripture in in 2 Timothy, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, because they have knowledge, but they lack wisdom. A form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, because they don't have the wisdom to discern difference. The Bible is all about discerning difference, which brings about balance. Let 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 me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. The Bible tells us, That salvation is free, not by works, lest any man should boast. But it's by grace through faith. Okay? Then in the book of James, we read that faith without works is dead being alone. And that freaks a lot of people out. Well, I don't understand. Do I need works or do I don't need works? Salvation is by works or it isn't by works. Now, I want you to see if you can gain the whole scope in this little bitty example You've heard that. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't heard that, the Bible says both things. Salvation is free. It's a gift. Not by works, lest any man should boast, but it's by grace through the operation of faith. Then it goes and says, faith without works is dead being alone. Show me, show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. So then you're confused. But if you just stop for a second, there doesn't need to be any confusion. Wisdom will show you how to discern the difference. Why would you be confused? One scripture is talking about salvation. And one scripture is talking about faith. There's your difference. Well, I don't understand. Is salvation by works or is it not? It never said salvation was by works in James. It says faith without works is dead. Salvation is a totally different issue. Salvation is grace through faith. 
Salvation doesn't require works. In order to get salvation, you have to have faith. And faith requires works. You understand? It's not, you're not going to be able to cash in your works for salvation, but if you even have a little bit of faith, you can be saved. You have to discern difference. And that'll give you wisdom. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll continue to get it as we move on further and further. Love, for instance. Jose was talking this morning in Sunday school. This is a scripture that freaks a lot of people out. The word of God says that you have to love him more than you love husband, daughter, mother, wife, any other relationship. That if a man is not able to leave mother, father, wife, husband, son, daughter, and seek after God, then he is not worthy of the kingdom. What is it about that? How, how is that possible? How could God love us and then call us to not love our family? Or what, what is the scripture saying? You can't freak out. You have to calm down. You have to use wisdom and discern difference. What God is trying to project in a scripture like that is the way that you love me and the way that you love your family and the way you love the person next to you is not the same as the way you love God. You have to discern difference. There's a difference there. There's a difference. That's going to come all the way through in our lives and it's going to, it's going to reveal to us by the end of the sermon how to make sure that we are dealing with the correct Jesus. And if we're able to project Jesus. There's so many things, so many false teachings that are out there in the body of Christ and I just want to deal with them right now. If it's okay, I'm not usually uh, as... Uh, mm, how can I say, um, I'm going to be real direct with some of the things that I want to say this morning. Usually I, I beat around uh, the bush a little bit more because I'm not about judging people. I'm not about calling people out. I'm not going to use names. If names come to you or church names come to you, that's on you. I'm not using church names and I'm not using preacher names. And I'll go ahead and say this right now because this is going to be the forefront of everybody's mind. I fully support and believe in Joel Osteen. So if you think I'm talking about Joel Osteen, I'm not talking about Joel Osteen. What you see on Sunday mornings, I understand as a Christian, sometimes a spirit-filled Christian especially can be a little bit hard to digest. That's not all that Joel Osteen has to offer. And that's not all that's going on at Lakewood Church. And I've heard from the man. I've seen the man. I've read some things that he's written that not a lot of people have read. He's doing what he feels like he's called to do and saying what he's called to say. He's a Holy Ghost-filled man. His calling is between him and the Lord. I'm not talking about Joel Osteen this morning. There are some other people you could say, and maybe I'd say, yeah, some of those people. But I don't want you to, to I don't want anybody to get confused because he's just the biggest name when you start talking about whatever, seeker friendly, whatever people always sing, Joel Osteen, Lakewood Church. There's more to Lakewood than that. Anyway, that being said, that's my only balancing statement. The rest of it, I'm not going to make any balancing statements. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Is that okay? Amen. I was at the gym last night with a friend of mine, Chris Lee, and we were talking about... Come to spirit again. We were talking about churches, and we were talking about like what, what it was that led up to us wanting to, to come down to Clear Lake and start a church. It's, it's an interesting question, I guess, anytime somebody plants a church, the only church I've ever planted. But you, yeah, yeah, you come in to any area, and there's already churches, so immediately the first thing the devil's going to hit you with is, why, why, do we, why do we need another church? There's literally a church across the street from here. They just moved out of that school across the street and they moved down the, they moved down the street. You can still walk there from here. You can walk to a lot of different churches from here. Right across Highway 3 is another spirit-filled church. They're back in a corner somewhere. There's a, so why are we coming into Clear Lake 
And why are we doing this? Why are we starting a church? And I can't speak for all of the other churches around, but I know what God called us to do. And as I told you earlier, when we were talking about, I think, tithe and offering, that every, everything in life, everything that God allows to manifest in the physical is a solution in some way to some problem. And there's some problem. And let me tell you this about your life. You, my friend, are an individual. You are unique and you are a solution to something. God saw an issue. God saw a problem. And he said, there's nobody there right now like that to solve that problem. So he created you or allowed you to be created, however it makes sense to you. And you are a solution to some problem. Some problem, not every problem. There's people in this world that will never miss you. They'll never know you and they'll never need you. But then there are people that will. And you are called to those people. You are a solution to a problem. Edgewater Church is a solution to a problem. Because I know who we are, that can kind of show me a little bit of what the problem is. Maybe. What we want to do is reveal the truth of the word of God by not adding to, not taking away, not beating around the bush on on spiritual issues, not half-truth, not worried about what people think, not worried about what people do, but worried about the gospel of Christ and making sure we get every word out there. So we were talking last night about how there are a lot of good teachers around, there are a lot of good preachers, and there's even a lot of good churches. That's absolutely true. So what is different about Edgewater than some other churches? One thing that we have to offer is we are a spirit-filled church that remains in balance. So here's the thing. There are so many issues in the body of Christ that people want to debate about. And to me, it comes off real simple. Everybody say wisdom. Discerning a difference. What is the difference in the gospel, what God calls us to do, and the way that the church operates or the way that people operate? It's so simple. I look at church A, I look at church B. Church A teaches against speaking in tongues. Church B teaches for speaking in tongues. I need to open the Bible and be able to discern that difference, which one is in there and which one is not. See, it comes off real simple to me. Do people speak in tongues in the Bible? Yes, they do. Did God ever say that was for one day and I'm done? Did God ever say we're ending that? No, he didn't. So if people speak in tongues in the Bible, we're going to talk about tongues. If people laid hands on sick people in the Bible and saw them healed, we're going to promote healing. If miracles took place in the word of God, we're going to promote miracles. If Jesus said it, we're going to repeat it. If he asked us to do it, we're going to do our best to do it. We're not going to add anything to it. We're not going to take anything away from it. We're going to operate in wisdom and we are going to teach the real Jesus. Chris was telling me, you know, I think Edgewater Church was called to this area to wake people up. I agree. That's what we want to do. We want to wake people up. So let me give you a little bit of a, of a fluff version. You know, it's not the Mormon version. It's not the Jehovah's Witness version. And I'm not going to necessarily call it a false version, but there are versions of Jesus Christ that fall terribly short. Here's how we build a big church. First, we make it look pretty. We make it look inviting. We invite people in and we tell them all the good things that the word of God has to offer. And I am for that. Let's do that. We were at married couples night last night and Jen was sharing and she said, you know, I went to a lot of churches and I heard that how much Jesus loved me. I heard examples about how he loved me. I heard what he did to show his love for me. And she said, I was very, very secure in the fact that Jesus loved me. Now, can we move past that? And can you tell me why my life looks like this? 
I believe that he loves me. Why can't I get things straight? This was years ago. They're straight now. This is a testimony from the beginning. Why can't I get... What's the deal? What am I missing? I encourage you this morning. Jesus does love you. He absolutely does. And there's a lot more to it than that. So he, he loves me. He gave his life for me. He shed his blood, which sometimes you won't even hear that word, but we'll, we'll go ahead and be bold. He shed his blood for me so that I could have forgiveness of my sins. In other words, sometimes you don't hear a lot about. Okay, we're doing good. We're doing good. So we need you at church on Sunday. We need you at church on Wednesday. Here's what we have going on. We have these outreach groups. We have these positions. We need ushers. We need greeters. We need this group. We need that group. Hey, you want to do something? We've got something for you. And that's all good and that's all okay. And then we're telling people, hey, at your job, God's going to bless you this way. Hey, in your household, God's going to bless you this way. Hey, in your relationship, God's going to bless you this way. And we're, we're talking and we're saying the right things. We're promoting the right things and everybody's amening the right things and people are shaking their hands after the sermon. They're hugging one. Oh, that was good. I needed that. Nobody turns their neighbor and says, you know what? After three years of hearing that, nothing's changed. Nobody ever says that. They just keep coming back to church. Life is still in shambles. Life still isn't working out. God did. It's almost like Jesus didn't die on the cross so they could get a better cubicle. But I thought that's how it was going to work. That's what my church told me. I'm having trouble at my job. We're going to pray for you, brother. God's going to bless you. He will. But there's way more to you than that. And there's way more to him than that. If you're a greeter here, you're an usher here, we love you and we need you. And I personally don't ever want you to leave that position. But I got to be honest with you. There's more to you than that. Doesn't mean you need to leave tomorrow. It's a good place for you to be for a season while you're learning, while you're waiting, while you're gaining clarity on what God's called you to do. Now, let me I'm, uh, there are times and this these are more like head positions. If you're Moses, you're called to the Israel, all the children. If you're Aaron, you're called to Moses. So I'm not necessarily saying. That you're not walking, you're calling if you're walking in the helps ministry, I just want you to understand God created you as a solution for a problem and the gospel of Christ and the Jesus that I know and the Jesus that loves you doesn't just want to hear about your problems and fix them one at a time. He wants access into your heart and he wants to change you completely. You might be in the wrong place. You might need to be out of that job. You might need to be out of that position. Maybe it's not a date night that's going to solve your marriage. Maybe you need a new wife, and I'm not meaning divorce and remarry. I mean, she needs a change, and you need a change, and the change that God's going to facilitate in you will build a brand new relationship, and that thing can be bonded in strength and unity and anointing, and it's not a 12-step process and a seminar about how to be a better husband. It's a changed life because you met the real Jesus and not the gospel of the modern-day church. That he's just here to help you. He's not here to help you. He's here to live inside of you, take over you, change you. Uh, am I sure about that? Amen. Well, he did say those that love their life will lose it. And those that lose their life will find it. He doesn't want you to do better. He wants you to change. 
He wants you to not be you anymore. And he wants to live in you and he wants to remake you. He wants to mold you. He wants to shape you. So the gospel of the modern day church, I just want to pick out a few things. There's a lot that we could go to. These are the things that God put on my heart to share with you guys. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but one big issue that we have is that in the modern day church, we're taught backwards. Everybody say wisdom. wisdom. Discerning a difference. I'm going to go through a list that I've gone through with you many times. I just want you guys to realize how God operates. Okay, the Bible says that we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. That's backwards. What has been shall be. When you're poor, you're rich. If you want to receive, you should give. You're strong when you're weak. Love your enemies. Pray for those that use you. Everything in the word of God is backwards. In fact, you don't ever even enter into life until you're willing to die. It's completely backwards. So you, my friend, have to work in wisdom and discern the difference. Am I operating the way the world would operate or am I operating the way that God would operate? Can I tell you, it almost breaks down so simplistically. Are you doing what everybody else would do or are you doing the opposite? So is the gospel of the modern day church telling you that God hates your enemies and is going to overcome your enemies and remove those things out of your life. In other words, you're at work, you're at your job, you're at home, whatever it is, you're having an issue. And there's a, there's a clear enemy in that situation, whether it's a person, a group of people, whatever it is. Well, God's going to overcome. Uh, God is going to get a hold of your boss. He's going to change your boss's heart and he's going to get your boss out of the way and things will become more peaceful at your job. Okay, that, that's sort of in a nutshell, that's a lot, that's the kind of stuff you'll get taught. Enemies are bad. God hates your enemies, and God will defeat your enemies. As if God's just like up in heaven playing a video game. Let me see, what enemies do we have today? Boom, 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 pow, whatever. Shotgun, bazooka. God, who knows what kind of weapons God's playing with? Spirit laser shooter thingy. <laughs> Vaporize. Like he's just having a good time. You know, God could, uh, I heard a man, think about this. I heard a man say one time, he wasn't sure if he was translated into heaven to see some visions of what heaven looks like, or if he just got a vision while he was on it. He couldn't tell. But one thing that he said was, wherever he was and whatever was going on, he was allowed to approach the throne in heaven. And he was trying to get an idea of what the father looked like, but he didn't look like a person per se in his face and his body. But it did seem as though he had legs and on his legs, there were two hands that were visible. And this is just a vision that he had. And he saw the four seraphim flying around the throne as the Bible talks about in Isaiah chapter 6, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he said they were, the heavens were shaking and the glory of God was indescribable. And he said that he was just watching these hands and that God's little pinky just like almost indiscernibly moved. And it threw one of the seraphim up against the wall, this giant creature with six wings and serpentine-like, fiery, whatever, like the power of God was so, I don't think God's interested in beating up your enemies. He wouldn't have to do much. Move his pinky? That's not very fun. He's not interested in that. He has better things he could do with his time. What the gospel really will tell you, and if you really discern, 
is that David was a little shepherd boy sitting in a field tending the sheep. And he knew that he knew that he knew that God had more for him. He knew there was something in him. Everybody say, that's me. You ever felt like, man, there's just more to me there. God's got something for me. I don't know what it is. You can't figure it out. Am I going to own this company? And am I going to go over here? Is God going to turn me into this? Am I going to do that? There's just, you feel like there's a little bit of greatness or a little bit more to you, but you don't even want to tell anybody because you're afraid they'll either laugh or it'll just go away and you'll realize it's not real. Let me tell you something. If you feel that way, if you think that way, there are passions that God put in you. There are gifts that God put in you. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to sit on those things. You're in the field watching the sheep. And unfortunately, you've been taught that when Goliath pokes his little head up, you need to stay in the field and let God take care of it. But without Goliath, David would have never transferred from being a shepherd to being a king. Enemies aren't what enemies are in the world. In the gospel, enemies are opportunities. We have a lot of confused people running around the body of Christ. You pray for change. I had somebody ask me yesterday and I had somebody ask me today. When I do this or when I make a strive and I do something I've never done before, I step out, I make a change or I pray for a change. Will the enemy, will, will the enemy start jacking with me? Yeah. You know why? Read Job. Because God lets him. Because you did something. And God sees it. Oh, oh, my son, my daughter is raising up, taking on a little more responsibility. They want to change. They want to move to another level. Well, here's your opportunity. It comes in the way of an enemy. Everybody say, my enemies are not walls. They are doors. Approach it that way. Yes, God will take care of it. But you have to pick up the stone. You have to rear back with the sling and you have to let one rip. God will guide it. But you have to do a little bit. Speaking on the topic of, of money that we were talking about earlier, I heard a man preaching on tithe a few days ago and he said, a lady came up to me after my tithe message and said, you know, I think if God wanted me to have money, I'd have money. And the guy said, well, that's, that sounds real logical. If God wanted you to comb your hair, he'd comb it for you. <laughs> Wouldn't he? God, wait, so you you got to be careful about taking cliches and sayings and clever uh, church lingo and applying it to your life versus getting in the word of God and applying the words of Jesus Christ to your life and the gospel to your life. Because in the gospel, it says that he's not going to drop money on you because you deserve it. And the gospel in Luke, it tells us, those that give, it'll be given back. He's going to press it down, shake it up, overflowing. It's not because you deserve it. It's because you're working it. Wisdom. The world doesn't think if they give money, they're going to be richer. That's backwards. I know we don't like to talk about money. We'll move on. <laughs> Another thing about the church. Everybody say, I have a calling. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. You can even take that in the Greek to say, all are called, but few are chosen. It could read that way. Many are called. I believe personally that translation is because there are, everybody's not a Christian. 
but many people are, and those people are called. Everybody say, I'm called. But few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Because few take the opportunity to answer that call. Because we have such a generalized view of the Jesus Christ that we serve, we are not encouraged as a church or a people to find a personal relationship and to hear from God for ourselves. Because if you heard from God for yourself, God might tell you that you don't belong at Edgewater Church. He's calling you to the church down the road, or He's calling you to another state, or He's calling you to another country. And I don't want you to hear that, because I want my church to be full. I want my, my tithe and offering to be full. I want as many, I want to build numbers. I want to build something big. I'm not really that way. I'm just using myself as an example because I don't want to use other people. So they'll sit there at the front of a church. A man with a form of godliness but denying the power thereof wants to keep you there. I, I actually had a preacher, a pastor that taught me, and you've probably been taught the same thing if you've been around Christianity for a certain amount of time. He said the worst Christians in the world are those that are church hoppers that will go somewhere for 10 years and then up and leave and go somewhere for five years. And then up and if you found a good home church and you're a good Christian, you'll just stay put. Oh, my God. Well, you could build a big church that way if you convince everybody that walks through the door. At this point, if you leave, you might not make it to heaven. So you need to stay. The problem is, what if God's called somebody in your congregation to do something? And I guarantee you he has. He's called every single person. All right? I'm not promoting go to one church for a couple months, go to another church for a couple months, whatever. If you need to seek and you need to find, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know that God has called anybody to sit in one church their entire life. I know he hasn't called you to do that if you don't do anything in that church. Besides give. There's more to you. But have you been taught that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Of course you have. But has it been poured into you that he is your personal Lord and Savior? I am not and no other pastor is. I want to share the gospel with you. I want to speak into your life. I cannot tell you where to go or what to do. He can. And I believe if five people up and leave Edgewater Church because they're called to go do something and they get to go do it, God's going to send 15. And those 15 are eventually going to be called and God's going to send. I don't need to hold on to everybody that walks through the door. The, the portion of my heart that wants you to stay is the, is the portion that knows you and loves you as a friend and a brother. I, I don't want to not see your face. But my God in heaven, if you feel like God's called you, I want to help you. Get out there and do your work because I'll get, we'll have eternity to hang out in heaven. Amen. We'll get real tired of each other. <laughs> but between now and then, there are lost people. And you are a solution to the problem. And I am not that solution. So if we keep a whole bunch of solutions in the same room, there are a whole bunch of problems that never get solved. Personal Lord and Savior. So what happens is, we can't tell people that they're not called, so we just generalize the calling. Many are called. Where do you call to? How many of you have ever, uh, ever spoken to somebody that's a Christian, that's in church, and they say, you've heard this, man, I, I'm, I'm, we're called to the whole world. I'm called to the whole world. What are you going to do? Whatever God wants me to do, I'm called to the whole world. Okay. Well, the rest of us can just go on vacation. <laughs> you're not called to the whole world. You're not called everywhere. You're called somewhere. Maybe manipulatively, maybe subconsciously, a lot of preachers, teachers, and pastors don't want you to find that somewhere because it might not be with them. 
But I'm telling you right now, you are called somewhere and you need to find that somewhere and you need to find that place. I heard a man tell a story one time. He was fishing. He caught it. You've all probably been there. He caught a fish. He took it off, slipped out of his hand and it was laying on the bottom of his boat. And he was looking at it and he was watching it. And he, and, he, and he just realized, he was like, you know, this fish can't walk, can't talk, can't hold a job, can't feed itself. He looked, he's looking at the fish, he's like, fish are kind of stupid, actually. <laughs> kind of stupid and useless. And he picked it up, and he threw it in the water, and then he said, as soon as it hit the water, boom. Brilliant. Its brilliance was revealed. It started doing something that only it could do. Because he could walk, he could talk, he could do a lot of things, but he couldn't swim like that fish. When it got put in its proper place. So wisdom should tell you that you are not generically called everywhere, you are called somewhere. The place that you are is just as important as the person that you are. And you need to figure out those two things. Who am I in Christ and where do I belong? Because when you get where you belong, it's almost like you have no competition because you're doing what you're called to do. And if God called you to do it, he equipped you to do it. Equipped you to do it. Did I say equipped you to What did I say? Don't play me with words with friends. I make up words. <laughs> and they work on that game too. It's crazy. He gave you skills. He gave you gifts. The world system, people that love each other, love each other. But we teach that in the church. We should love each other. And that's right. And that's good. God loves us and we love our brothers and our sisters. Well, we, don't, we talk about it, but we don't want to really hear about it, how the, how the scripture says that if you love those that love you, you haven't done anything. It's when you love those that hate you and despitefully use you that you've done something Christ-like. We talk about in the world system how Jesus came to love everybody and how Jesus wants to give everybody a big hug and a big kiss and how Jesus wants to sit next to a lamb with a little baby on his lap and pet the lamb and kiss the baby. And that's all good and that's all wonderful and that makes a very nice painting. And I'm for that. And he did that. But did you know that same Jesus also said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I will divide households. I will divide people. I will divide whatever it takes in order to make sure that my gospel is preached to the four corners of the world. And as I told you this morning, right now, Jesus Christ sits in heaven and he weeps for the state of his church. And I felt an apologetic spirit this morning that I am so sorry, he said, that I've done everything I can do. And then you grow up when you grew up and I've been gone for 2000 years and you go to the nearest mega church and this is the gospel that you get. He's getting ready to return. He's getting ready to come back. And before he does that, he wants to shake this world. He wants to wake people up. He wants to revive people. But if he's going to do that, we got to return to the stock velvet, the real deal. I don't care how much it bothers you. I don't care how much it bothers the church down the road. I don't care how much it bothers another group of Christians. Jesus Christ said, I came to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And when they got baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spake in other tongues that men didn't understand. And they prophesied. And because they did that, I don't care about the doctorate degree that the denominational preacher down the street who's 70 years older than me has. You can't convince me it's not real. I've experienced it. 
I debate people all the time about the gifts of the Spirit, and I can't stand it. I'm good with my scripture. I'm good with not, I'm good with that kind of stuff, but I don't, I don't usually win those things because I just don't have any passion for it. How am I going to debate? We might as well debate whether my wife is real. I don't have any passion for that debate. I just left her at the house. I gave her a big sloppy wet kiss. I've got lipstick on my teeth. It's not my lipstick. How am I going to debate with you? We do. You got you to love your wife. You got to do that stuff. I'm not going to debate with you whether my wife is real. I'm not going to de- debate with you whether tongues is real. I'm not, I mean, you, you, the, why? What, it's happened. I've experienced it. So I can't even listen to your arguments. I mean, that's fine. You're good. You have your scriptures. I have my scriptures. Here's the thing. You're trying to prove a negative, And I'm trying to tell you something that happened. And you're trying to tell me something that didn't happen. And that doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of things that don't happen every day. It doesn't mean things can't happen. So I don't care how much, if it's in the Bible, we're going to talk about it. So I want to tell you right now, you're at a spirit-filled church where we encourage and we equip and we want you to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and we believe in speaking in tongues and we're not a cult and we're not crazy and we're not even a denomination. We're just trying to read the Word of God. And it says you'll speak in tongues. It says you'll prophesy. It says you'll cast out demons. That might be laughable. That might be funny. That might not be popular. That might not be cool. That might not be pop culture. I don't really care what culture it is. The Bible said you'll cast out demons. We laid hands on people and we've cast out demons and we've seen them go. And it doesn't matter to me whether that makes uh, David Letterman's top 10 or not. We are going to do what the Bible says to do. And we're going to preach unadulterated Jesus Christ. It's real simple. Love God with all of your heart, strength, all of your mind, all of your soul, love your neighbor as yourself, and don't take away and don't add to this word of God. Everything that he said is valuable. It's right now. It's for today. It hasn't been done away with. Young people and old people alike. Wisdom. Discern the difference. Is there a difference in the gospel that, that I'm receiving, that I'm being preached? Is there a difference between that and how the world operates? Or am I just learning an upgraded way that the world operates? Do you understand what I mean by that? Are you learning how to enhance the world's values and the way the world works? Are you being taught to work the world system but work it with Jesus and it will work out better? Or are you being taught a different way? Because there should be a difference. If there's no difference in your life and there's no difference in your gospel then you haven't walked in wisdom, you don't have that principal thing, and it's very hard. you know what that word principle in the, in the Hebrew is reshith? The first time that appears in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, that word is reshith. So you can't even start. Why is it that faith isn't the principal thing? If you can't discern difference and apply that, you can't understand faith. Why isn't it that the power of the Holy Ghost isn't the principal thing? Because if you can't discern a difference between the Holy Ghost and something that's not the Holy Ghost, you can't walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. A form of godliness denying the power thereof. Why isn't forgiveness the principal thing? Because if you can't discern the difference between forgiveness uh, versus just walking away from something, then you can't walk in forgiveness. Wisdom is the principal thing. If you have the wisdom to discern the difference between the Jesus of this Bible and the Jesus that somebody's talking about, then you, my friend, 
will remain on track. Don't let anybody convince you that there's part, I realize this is an iPad, pretend it's a Bible, that there's part of this Word of God that is irrelevant or that can theologically be explained away. Stand to your feet with me if you will this morning.